Saturday. Another Saturday. They all run into each other now. Man. For me. So anyway, yeah, you want to you want to begin? Sure. All right. Welcome to Music on the Rocks with your host Chris Castellanos and this Music on the Rocks, I've got a great guest with me. This is a person that I've known for a long time now. We've been touring together, traveling the world, except for this year. And um, this is Jose Cibaja. He is the trumpet professor at Vanderbilt, and he is also lead trumpet of the Boston Brass, which is the group that I'm in. So, uh, dude, how you doing? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. I'm hopeful. I got I got the shot for oh. for the, the vaccine. I got the shot, the first shot. I got it like two days ago. I'm hopeful. hopeful. <laughs> You're half full, man. You're half full. Exactly. Half hopeful. <laughs> yeah, so I'm dude. doing good, man. I mean, you know, I've been teaching, uh, doing some personal projects, doing stuff with Boston Brass, planning my next solo recording. And practicing, you know, and I record a lot from home, so I'm doing some some stuff for people, for clients, and send stuff. And um, you know, just trying to stay as positive as as I can, right? You know, during these times, man, it is it's not easy. How about you? The same, you know. I mean, besides the teaching thing, I mean, I've been teaching here and there, but I don't have a, a teaching gig like you do. So that's why I was saying it's like everything's running into each other because I don't have any schedule anymore. You know, it's like, I know that I've got to do something at some times, but geez, <laughs> uh, I don't know like what day of the week it is most of the time, you know? <laughs> yeah. Today's Saturday, man. Oh, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, man. So you kind of had the perfect setup going into this. I mean, without realizing it because you've been recording from home for so long. And you've been, I mean, you've been into technology and music technology before anybody that I know. So, I mean, you're kind of ahead of the curve for this whole thing, right? Well, yeah, man, I'm, I, w- I am very lucky because I've, I've had a, a, a very long career in just recording music in different studios. You know, I've been recording since, since I was 17, 18 years old, in different studios, you know, first in Venezuela. In Costa Rica and then in Miami, and um, so I've I've always been intrigued by that part of the business, and so when things started to get affordable and you could start buying gear, uh, and not have to spend an arm and a leg in order to be able to record, um, so I started doing so and I started recording from home. So I, I think I've been doing this for about fifteen, sixteen years already. Right. Um, so. I mean, in a way, yeah, I was sort of, you know, quote unquote, prepared for this, you know, but still, man, it's, you know, I think it's important to realize that I don't think any of us or anybody was expecting this to be this long. Oh, yeah. I mean, for sure. It's like I I started doing a bunch of stuff, but then I, you know, I I stopped Mm -hmm. (laughs) because it's like, you know, there's only so much. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You pump yourself up, and it's like, okay, man, I'm all right. So I think I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try to start re- doing some more videos and some more recording for for just for me, and you know, and, and for public consumption for social media or whatever. Um, but it's been difficult. Um, 
once I passed that first wave that I call of excitement and all of that, it's been difficult, you know? So I have to be really thankful of the people that that used me to record from home because that keeps me happy going. Yeah. I love recording. And I love especially the the, the, the engineering part of recording. I, I love the playing part of recording. That, you know, that was what I was saying. But the engineering part of recording, I, I love that. Yeah, you've always been kind of like a tinker. Like, I mean... It, it took me a little bit by surprise because I knew you're a great musician and, and all that. I've known that forever, but I never really took you for the kind of person who's going to like put together your own computer and like be working mm. with your own gear and like all the ins and outs of Pro Tools or Logic and, and like all that stuff, you know? So, I mean, it's like, I think your curiosity is, is what helps you out with that. I mean, everywhere we go on the road, you're always asking the people who are recording concerts, like, "Oh, what mic or blah blah blah." It's like you're asking all the all the tech stuff, so you're really curious about it. Yeah, I mean, and and that's how it's everything with this recording thing started. When I would go into the studios, you know, and I was I was talking, I was trying to find out, talking to the engineers, you know, what gear were they using? Why were they using that gear? What was that gear for? You know, and I think that's how everything. That curiosity about the engineering world started, you know. I I want to start to get a little bit more serious about that, you know, mm-hmm. taking some courses or something like that. There's a lot of things on on YouTube that I go and then and, and I research and I implement in, into what I do. But you know, it's 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 always a humbling experience. Yeah. You know, when you go in and, and, and you hear these mixes of these guys that are incredible and uh, these guys that, that dedicate themselves and their lives to this art because mixing music is an art. Yeah. Recording music is an art. You know, you can shape up a product to be as artistic as you want as long as the product has quality in it, you know, mm-hmm. in, in the mixing part and the mastering part of things. So... That's uh, that's fascinating to me, you know. And I probably probably I I never talked to you about that, you know, on the road or anything like that, because you know, so sometimes I just don't talk about certain things. <laughs> you know, you know how I am. No, I know that for yeah. sure. Yeah. No, I mean I knew that you were into the recording and everything, but I didn't realize how heavy into it you mm-hmm. were and all the equipment that you had. And you've got a, I know you got a studio at your house, and you're. I mean, I don't know if the the people who are listening, my one listener, realizes that um my mom's listening even though she doesn't speak in English, she'll listen. Hi mom, send more ceviche, send more. <laughs> yeah, man, my mom's After, ceviche is serious. Oh, it was killer, man. <laughs> um but you're you're on lots of albums. I mean, tons of albums. And now it's a completely different animal than it was even like 10 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you used to go into the studios you still go into the studios a lot, but I mean, it used to be that you had to go into a studio, mm-hmm. to record tracks and exactly. all that. And now you can do all the tracking from your place. They like send you the stuff, you track the stuff. They tell you what they like, what they maybe didn't. You would fix little things here and there if you need to. And then you're done, right? That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And then most people that I work with, I've worked with them for so long, you know, that I, I you know, when they write something, I know what they want. Right. But it's the interesting part of it is that it's good for the musician. For me, it's been fantastic. Not only for the obvious, which is the engineering side of things, but for the musical part of it. 
you know, to understand the ins and outs of how to how to create a great sound that records well. Because mm-hmm. some people may have great sounds, but they don't record well. You know, right. it's too broad or or it's too, you know, it's just like when you're recording in in a hall, you know, and you're recording with an orchestra, certain engineers are using certain type of equipment in order to be able to cope with this, the, the quality of, of your sound or what you're putting out there. Mm-hmm. You know, so some some engineers that record classical music or some engineers that record in Hollywood and things like that will actually talk to you about the kind of of more focus, more mic ready kind of sound that they they would like to hear at times, and that's very interesting, man. You know, you you start learning to adapt to a setting, you know, and then playing your instrument becomes a lot more interesting. Right. You know, not that it's not interesting per se, but it becomes a lot more interesting. You have a bigger palette of flavors that you can offer out there just just by studying yourself every time you turn on your your recording gear and you hear hear back. That's just Yeah. Well, and that's the other thing about recording also is that you it just makes you a better musician by default, right? I mean, you're constantly listening back to the things that are coming out of your bell. So you're hearing all your errors. You have to, unless you fix it, you're going to drive yourself nuts, right? Mm-hmm. And then also, you're, as you said, you know, every time you hear back, you find out what it is that you're doing right and what it is that you're doing wrong. Right. So that's all this data is fantastic for next time and next time and next time and next time, you know? And there's a never-ending quest that, that we're always trying to fight for excellence on a daily basis, you know? Yeah, so whoever is listening out there, and if you are not up with the times yet, I think it's important for everybody to at least have some sort of recording device that they can hear, but with decent sound. You know, at, at least expen- spend two hundred bucks or one hundred and fifty bucks on a decent microphone for your phone, where you can where you can adjust levels, where you can adjust angles, and try to get the best sound possible for you to hear yourself back when you're practicing or or, or 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 when you're trying to prepare for something because there's nothing better than that there's no better teacher than listening to yourself right yeah um, a lot of people want to wait for like the perfect situation they want to it's like oh i don't have like three grand to spend on like making a recording studio so i'm just going to hold off the the first gear that i that i bought i bought some used gear you know and then i i bought some new stuff but I remember that more so much of half of it went in my credit. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, I don't, I'm not gonna wait because if I wait to have all the money, I'll never have the money because something always comes up. Yeah, exactly. So there's an emergency here, an emergency there, or there's an emergency somewhere, you know, and you have to be putting out fires. So you gotta pull the trigger, man. But it's important to understand that in in the business of of recording gear, cheap means expensive. What that means is if you buy cheap equipment and you really understand what it sound, what something needs to sound like, you're going to end up selling it and buying something more expensive. Right. If you're always cutting corners, budget-wise, you're going to spend twice the money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, you know, so I have equipment here. That's the first thing that I bought. Like at least a microphone. <laughs> right, right. You know? 
That's sage advice, man, because it's one thing if you're just going to, if you know you're not going to go into recording anything, you just want to record yourself during rehearsals or whatever, then get a good mic for your, your iPhone and that might be worth it. But if you think you might want to record at some point and say you can afford like a $200 mic or you could maybe put the bill for like a $1,000 mic or something like that. If you buy the $200 mic, you're going to buy a $200 one and a $1,000 one later on, <laughs> and maybe some in between. <laughs> Are you going to sell that and they're going to give you 50 bucks for it? So you're, <laughs> you're out 150 bucks already from that microphone. If you buy good gear, like if I, let's say I buy, I buy um, a microphone that is two grand. Mm-hmm. You know, I can, if I take care of the microphone and I don't put it through like extreme circumstances, I could turn around and sell that microphone for 1600 bucks five, yeah. five, six years later. So you use the six, six, six years, seven years, and you know, and you, you get $1,600 back when you're done with it and you want to upgrade or buy something different. Yeah. You know? And hardware like this it never goes out of vogue too. Uh-uh. I mean, it's like a lot of those studios still use the same mics from 20 years ago that are Those just- are more expensive than regular microphones nowadays. Like in, in Blackberry here or in Ocean Way, they have microphones, you know, from 1980, 1970, 1960. And those those microphones, if they were to sell those microphones, they would go for a really, 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 really big tag. Yeah. Because those are considered, you know, vintage microphones. Mm-hmm. You know, and especially the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, that's the golden era of, of the recording industry in, in, in this country. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Well, I want to get into some career stuff and some, you know, trumpet and brass stuff. But before I do that, this is Music on the Rocks. So I want to know, what is it that you're drinking right now? I am drinking a triple shot (laughs) of H2O. Ooh, I heard that's good. Yeah. You better be careful, man. That don't mess you up. I know. Cheers. (laughs) Cheers. What are you drinking? Uh, This is... uh, Pig's nose. <laughs> hey, man, don't make fun of Jeff. <laughs> yeah, this is pig's nose uh, scotch. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah. So, so man, talking about Jeff, it's to Jeff's birthday today. I know. How old is he? I don't know. He's close to George Washington, I think, in age. <laughs> This is not fair. We're making fun of Jeff, but he's not here. Yeah, he can't defend himself, man. That's messed up. So more about Jeff. No. <laughs> Dude. All right. So tell me how you got started playing the trumpet. I started playing the trumpet because of my mom, man. Because my mom was always listening to music in the house. And in Latin music, there's a lot of trumpet. Trumpet is very predominant. So I start. I like the sound of the trumpet, but... I, you know, my interest was always soccer. I, I wanted to be a soccer player. So I was playing in minor leagues and I hurt myself and I couldn't walk for like a period of two weeks. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, that r- reality set in. So I was like, oh my God, man, you know, maybe I don't want to be doing this. Right. You know? <laughs> um, so I, you know, I started really taking an interest into music, but I started playing the glockenspiel because I was playing <laughs> one of those. Yeah, man. I was playing with one of those marching bands in, in Latin America. Well, you have these marching bands that are not like marching bands that, that we know here in the States. Right. These are bands that go on the street and they march. 
for parades and things like that. Mm-hmm. They don't go into into a game or anything like that. Right. So I started in a band like that, and I started really liking it. So I started taking solfege lessons. My mom took me to to this gentleman to teach me solfege, and then the director of the band that I was uh, playing Glockenspiel for, he had a conservatory, small conservatory. So my mom asked him if he, you know, if I could start going there to take some lessons and, and some theory stuff. So I started going, and then in the band, somebody left a trumpet. Somebody left, and and there, there was a trumpet just sitting there. Mm-hmm. So I asked, I asked if I could, you know, try the trumpet, and he was like, "Sure." So I started playing the trumpet, and the guy said, "Just take it home." I took the trumpet home. I did the third bow; didn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I just. I fell in love with the trumpet, man. To me, it was fascinating. Um, so, like a week and a half later, he said, "Man, you 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 started to make a decent sound out of that." <laughs> <laughs> so, he was the the clarinet professor of the youth orchestra, the youth program of the National Symphony Orchestra in Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. So he told me that if you if if I wanted to be a part of that, I said, "Of course." Uh, so he found out when when the auditions were, and he told me all about it. So I went, I took an audition. Well, audition, they, it's more like an aptitude exam. Right. Like if, you, like if you have inclination for music and if you have talent for music. Mm-hmm. So I went, and they said that, yeah, that it was, everything was cool, but I was too old. So I was like 13 years old. So for you to start that program, you had to be seven, eight, nine. Oh, okay. Yeah. So this, this his name is Marvin Araya. Mar- Marvin, he was like, "Don't worry, give me six months, and then you you give him a placement exam, and I assure you that he'll place where he needs to be." <laughs> so I had in six months, I had to do a lot of theory and solfege and a lot of practicing uh, in order for me to be able to to keep studying music at this place, and that's how it started, man. Yeah, the, well, those kids had started six years prior, right? Yeah. I mean, so you had to catch up to that yeah. so you could get yeah. in. Mm-hmm. That's amazing, man. Yeah, so, but maybe because I was older, it was a little easier. Yeah, well, the attention span. And you were in, it mm-hmm. seems like it caught your ear. So it's mm-hmm. like when a kid that age, when they decide they're interested in something, it's insane how like mm-hmm. how quickly they can grasp mm-hmm. things. I remember that, it, you know, it, it was trumpet all day, man. In my case, mm-hmm. uh, to the point that there was a lady that lived in my block and she didn't know it was me who played the trumpet. And she came and talked to my mom once. She says, you know who plays that? She said, the cornet. You know who plays that cornet every afternoon? He doesn't let me take my nap. Blah, 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 blah. And my mom's like, no, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't hear anybody. So glockenspiel. Imagine if you had kept on with that. You might be like a virtuoso glock player. Right now, playing. Yeah, that's all right. In the Glockstein <laughs> breath. I mean, I think I'll pass on that. Yeah, man. So it wasn't like in the states where they have music in the schools, and and you just start band at in like sixth grade or seventh grade. Some schools, uh-huh. very few schools. Okay. Yeah. Very few schools. Um, when I when I started playing this trumpet, I was actually in elementary school. I was in in um fifth or sixth grade when I started playing uh, Glockenspiel and then I started playing Glockenspiel in the high school band when I was in, uh, or the, what is it? Middle school? 
Yeah. Junior high? Well, yeah. What Junior high. Yeah. I was, <laughs> yeah. Well, it was like a band for the whole five years. In Costa Rica, we don't have junior high or high school. We just have high school. Got it. So 7 to 11 is the same thing. Mm. You know, it's all called high school. Okay. So I was in, in the elementary school, but I was playing with a band from my high school. Oh, okay. Cool. So actually, I think that actually that was something that really gave me a push. Because I was younger than everybody else, and I wanted to catch up. Right. When younger kids get put into situations with older kids, I see that with Orion, with my son, because Lily's 15 and he's seven. And it's like, so he wants to act like a different way, or he wants to get really good at something so he can impress her and like get into like the club, you know? Orion's stories are the best, man. Orion's a rock star. He is a rock star. (laughs) He's hilarious, man. It's funny, man. Yeah. So, so you kept up with a trumpet. And then when did you get to the United States? Um, I got to the United States in 1991. Oof, a long time ago. 1991, man. I got to the United States. And I, I, I went to study with Gil Johnson at the New World School of the Arts, the college division of the New World New School of the Arts. And I studied with Gil Johnson there for about six months. And then I asked him if I could move to the University of Miami. And and so he, yeah, he fixed everything for me to go to the University of Miami and keep studying with him over there. Yeah. And Gil was principal trumpet of the Philadelphia Orchestra. Yeah. 20 years or something like that. Yeah. Under Ormandy. Man, I love your stories of him teaching you because he was like an old school dude. He didn't uh, have yeah. Like now it's easy as a teacher to kind of hold the hand really hard and like coddle a little bit and be forgiving and stuff. And that's not how he ruled. Right. Mm-mm. Not at all. No, he treated you. He treated you as a, an adult from the get go. And right. you were supposed to, you know, be responsible for your things and you were supposed to act like an adult. I love that story of the dude who uh, didn't practice Mahler. Oh yeah. <laughs> My teacher wasn't into listening to excerpts. You know, on the contrary that you may think because he was an orchestra player, he didn't like listening to excerpts. So this friend of mine, you know, comes the night before and he's like, hey, man, I'm going to play Mahler 5 for Guild tomorrow. I'm like, no, man, I don't think that's a good idea. He said, no, man, I sound good on it. I was like, I don't think that's a good idea, Bobby. So, you know, we just kept talking. And the next day happens, you know, and I see Bobby later on. You know, after his lesson, and I, hey, Bobby, what's up, man? And he's all down. He's like, man. I said, what happened? He said, I went to the lesson, man, and I told Mr. Johnson I was going to play Mahler 5. So what happened? He said, well, he said, well, he said well, start playing. So I started playing. And I said, what happened then? He's like, well, I, I was playing the opening, and I saw him putting things into his bag <laughs> and light, lighting up a cigar. I'm like, uh-oh. And then what happened? He said, when I finished to play the opening, he said, just keep playing. Do it again. So I kept doing, you know, I, I went up again and I played the opening. And then he kept putting his stuff in his bag. And then all of a sudden I see him get up, open the door, turn the lights off, and leave. <laughs> <laughs> I, said, I said, Bobby, so what did you do? I, said, I sat there in the dark for 10 minutes. I didn't know what to do. <laughs> I told you it was a bad idea. I said, I should have listened, man. 
<laughs> he never came back? Gil never came back? No, man. <laughs> oh, my gosh, man. No, he never. He didn't like it. He didn't want to hear, and they apparently the kid was very pushy about it. <laughs> so he was like, "Oh, okay, great, then play it." <laughs> he left <laughs> the lesson, dude. Uh, that's incredible, man. I and mean, then the time that Brian was late, what happened? There was a corridor that went from the parking into Gil's studio, like a long corridor. Uh-huh. So I think Brian showed up like five minutes late or something like that, seven minutes late or something like that. And then Brian running from the parking lot <laughs> into this corridor. I see Skill going by and this is going to start talking to him. Skill keeps just walking by, doesn't say anything. <laughs> His car leaves. Uh, I could just see Brian too. Yeah, man. It's like there was no messing around. You know, if you had a lesson at 11 a.m., your lesson was not at 11.01, 11.02, or 11.03. It was at 11 a.m. Yeah. And if you were there at 11 a.m. and he didn't open the door, you didn't knock. Mm. You waited for him to open the door. <laughs> <laughs> you would knock. He would like, like, why are you knocking? It's not your time yet, crunk. <laughs> uh, uh, it was hardcore, man, but that's what I needed. Yeah. When I was when I was when I was that age, I really needed that. You know, it, it, he really taught me a lot of things about life and about music. You know, about the business of music, about the behavior of of a professional in a in a music setting. That was very enlightening for me. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know he meant a lot to you because you talk yeah. about him a lot on the road, and it seems like it went both ways. Like he needed, he, he kind of needed somebody like a student like you also. That- well, I didn't get it at the beginning because he, you know, he had no, there was no sympathy towards me in the, in, in the manner of, of like forgiveness of any kind of mistake. So I really thought that he hated me at the beginning, mm-hmm. you know? And it was D- Domingo was the one that told me, you know, Domingo in his one time in his life of brightness, <laughs> Is the one who told me, "Hey man, he treats you treats you like that because he sees in you something different." And I didn't, you know, I, I you know, I, I was like, "Oh man, this guy doesn't like me at all." Right. I didn't see that part of it, so I started taking it for what Domingo told me that it was, and it made sense. And I, you know, it really gave me a big push towards practicing, towards being disciplined on a daily basis, man. No, so I, I I can't repay him. There is not enough time or enough life for me to repay what Gil Johnson did for me. You know. Yeah. Well, I think that the way that you're repaying him is that you're passing on all of his legacy. When you first got the gig at Vanderbilt, I was so happy for you because it's like a way that you can you can pass that on. You know that knowledge and that caring to the students and the tough love. You know, mm-hmm. I know that you're into that too, especially now. Because all the students, students seem to, it's like teachers are prone to like trying to give them leniency, but what the students really need is somebody like giving it to them real, you Mm -hmm. know, they're going to be coddled through college and then real life's going to hit. If I made certain exceptions about that, I tell them, you know, it's like, Hey man, it's, it's your life. It's your career. If you're not prepared 
Well, if, if they're not prepared, that's that's not true. Because if they're not prepared, the lesson lasts five minutes. I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't, you know, I don't have time for this. You know, I, I, you're yeah. wasting my time, and you're wasting your time. And there's right. something in life we can't afford to waste this time. So, um, but if you know, if, if they start acting up or doing something, you know, I I I am very honest with them. It's like you know, if you do something like that in a job, you could be fired right away. Because, you know, nobody talks to them in, the, in those terms, I believe. You know, when we go do clinics at places, I, I like to keep it real, man. Because I think it's our responsibility, not only to care for the students in a loving way, to pass them knowledge about music, but to guide them through the valley of music, man. Because a career in music is not roses. It's very demanding. You have to be on top of your game all the time. And it's very unforgiving, as you know. Yep. Yeah. When you got to the States and you were studying there and everything, when did you kind of break into a scene and start working? Like, what were your first kind of jobs? Well, when I got here, it was funny because I never thought the trumpet as a business, unfortunately. You know, where I was young. I, 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 just, I just wanted to get better. I was having fun, you know. And I knew I wanted to go play trumpet and I wanted to sound better. And when I came to the States, I had the same mentality. Um, something that opened my eyes, one of my first things that, that I did was Easter. I played Easter with a very, very fine organ player and an amazing lady. Her name is Joanne Schulte. And um, Gil said to me, you know what? I don't do this anymore. I don't play Easter anymore, but this is the job that I usually do. Mm-hmm. So I want you to go play that job for me. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay. You know, I was like very nervous because, you know, I didn't want to <laughs> mess that one up. So I show up, I do the rehearsals, whatever. I do Easter. It's in a, in a place called Naples. That was like two and a half hours from Miami. I go there and, you know, they provide a great apartment just for me. I'm in the apartment by myself. It's like a penthouse, like with view to the ocean. And I'm like, whoa, okay. <laughs> nice. All right. You know? And then at the end of the of the job, she hands me a check for $2,500 in 1992. That's Gil Johnson money, baby. <laughs> I'm like, I'm sure there's a mistake here. <laughs> You're like, did you give me the check for the whole quintet? Uh... No, it was a solo. It was a solo gig. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So I said, I, I'm sure there is a mistake here. I think I think there's an extra zero here. <laughs> to be here. So that moment, I was like, okay, you can make money with this. Yep. You know, it was a little jaded, you know, because it was Gil's kick and it was Gil's money, you know. I mean, like the level of the money, but that opened, opened my eyes, you know. Yeah. And she was very sweet and she was very kind. And she said, you know what, that, you deserve that money, this and that, blah, blah, blah. And uh, that's how, how I started seeing music as a way of, of making money. Uh, two years of study with, with Mr. Johnson, I took an audition for the National Symphony Orchestra in Venezuela. And I went there, I wanted, and I went there to play co-principal for about two and a half years or something like that. Mm-hmm. That was my first formal job as a musician. And then in Miami, I st- in Venezuela, I started to do a lot of commercial music. And I started doing a lot of 
recording studio jobs and things like that. Right, because you're you're classically trained mm-hmm. trumpet player. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it, when you were going to school and everything, it was all classical music, right? Yeah, I wasn't allowed to be in the jazz um, band. <laughs> Gil wouldn't let me be in the jazz band. Oh man, it was hilarious. Did he get mad when you took? Games I wouldn't tell him. <laughs> I wouldn't dare telling him, man. Kidding me? Mm-mm. I could not <laughs> tell him that I was doing Latin gigs. You kidding? No, man. Or commercial gigs. Mm-mm. Yeah, because it was funny because with Signer, you know, who is an amazing musician, he was the the head of the jazz department at the University of Miami. He was like, hey, man. It was like my second year in school. He's like, you need to play in the CJB, the concert jazz band. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I would love to play there, but you will have to speak to Mr. Johnson about it. I looked at me in the eye and said, yeah, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even oh! yeah, because they knew each other for for a long time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so then, how did you get experience? Because you're not only known as a great classical player, but you're also really well known for your commercial playing and your commercial recording and your jazz playing and your improvising. I mean, so how'd you get all that if you weren't doing any of it in school? Was it all just on the job, basically? Yeah, basically, when I I started playing Latin music, and then in Latin music, you know, there were people who would be called for solos. And then when I was in Costa Rica, I was I was introduced by a good friend of mine, Edgar Campos, to the music of Arturo Sandoval, mm. and I was very intrigued by his improvisations. You know, Arturo has been a, a hero of mine since you know I have recollection of liking music. So, um. That's how everything started. So I was trying to play along with, with whatever the recording was, was doing or, or, or was happening uh, with the recording. I did a little bit of jazz playing in Costa Rica because, you know, I, I guess I have a good ear or something, you know, because I would hear something and I could play around the changes okay, mm-hmm. you know. It was, I wasn't dead on, but, you know, I guess it didn't sound horrible. <laughs> or, I don't know, or something, you know. Um, I just took a curiosity for it, you know, and started just playing along with things, man. Mm. You know, and then the commercial part of it, the lead playing part of it just started by doing it. Right. You know, I had a certain facility to play high notes when I was a kid. And by listening to to a, a lot of music from Cuba, I had good friends that brought music from, from Cuba and then some big bands from North America, I started hearing trumpet players do that thing, you know, the lead thing. Right. Um, and, and I took interest in that. But I, even though I was not allowed in college to really be a part of that in, at the University of Miami, I was always checking it out, you know, because there were great players in the band, you know, the great commercial players in the band. Brian McDonald was in there. Brian McDonald plays lead with the Airmen of Note. Mm-hmm. You know, J- Jason Carter was in the band. John Bailey was in the band. Connie Bennett, you know, great players, man. Just great trumpet players. Joey Tartell was in the band. Roger Ingram was in the band for a little bit, too. Well, that's really interesting. It sounds like, though, that because you had such good fundamentals and like such a good base of playing the instrument, that you were pretty much set up to do whatever you wanted. 
Well, I guess I don't. I, I don't know, man. I, I think I've always been a very good listener, even though it may not seem like it. <laughs> But、uh, I've always liked to pay attention to detail when I hear something. At a very young age, I started realizing that people use different kinds of articulation to express different languages in music.、Right. You know, so I started to try to imitate things. You know.、Um, And I guess yes, fundamentals was a way for me to be able to do these things in an easier way.、Uh, otherwise, but like when I play lead or when I play certain types of commercial music, I am doing a lot of things that I wouldn't do ever in a classical setting.、Right. You know, so it, it took I guess years of investigation that I didn't know I was investigating. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? It wasn't like a Well thought out process. I was just going with the flow, and whatever I pick my interest, I would try to go and do that. And then they would call me to do a gig, and then I would go play that gig. But I would get ready before we listen to some music and try to play a little bit with it and try to figure it out what the language was. And then also playing with great musicians is so helpful.、Yeah. I, I have been so blessed to be able to play with amazing musicians, man. All the way from Venezuela, Costa Rica, you know, you name it, the world. Yeah. So when you're sitting next to somebody that is swinging like crazy, you have no other option. <laughs> they, they don't give you any other option, man. That's true. Yeah. Otherwise, you sound like a fish out of water. You know. So you gotta pay attention. You gotta buckle up and then just hit the road. Well, speaking of hitting the road, you've been on the road with this year withstanding. I mean, over two decades. Right,、mm -hmm. I mean, you started touring with Ricky Martin, and you were with him for a while, and then with Chamber Music. But I mean, in between that, you've been touring with other people too. So it's like, how did you start getting on the road? Like, where did that path come from? Um, I, I started seriously touring with Ricky Martin. That's my my first serious tour. But you know, I remember taking a trip, my first trip in in college. With a, with a salsa band, and we went to Ecuador、mm. to play、um, this festival, and I came back, and I didn't. I I had a great time, but I didn't like the traveling part of it.、Mm -hmm. Getting on the plane, the going through customs, the, all of that stuff. Right. Once I was there, I was happy, and then when coming back, it was the same thing. So I came to a lesson. After you know, I heard what what I didn't want to hear, which was, "Oh my God, what were you doing?" Blah blah blah, this and that, blah blah blah. Right. You know, because Gil, I, that was over the weekend, and um, I, I said to him, "It's like, I don't know, I don't know about this traveling thing. You know, I don't, I don't really enjoy traveling."、Mm -hmm. So, and he was very, very honest with me, and he said, "Well, if you keep playing the trumpet like that, you probably may as well just quit now because you're going to be traveling a lot." And that so that opened my eyes to a a whole different world. That comment opened my eyes to a whole different world, and for me to start seeing that that side of the business in a whole different way, you know. So yeah, man, that's how that started. I, I wasn't a fan of traveling, but then it just became a part of what I did, and、right. now I love traveling. Yeah, I I enjoy traveling so much that it has been a really weird year for me. Well, I mean, we're on the road a lot, and then you're on the road, even when we're not on the road, and it sucks that all this happened because it seemed like your solo stuff had really started. It just had like a really good roll, 
happening, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like came to a dead stop. So hopefully when everything gets settled, <laughs> it'll keep on rolling. Yeah. And, well, I like playing solo stuff a lot. Um, do I want to become a soloist? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I would, I, well, I don't know. I would love to have two or three activities a month, maybe if, but to have a full agenda as a solo, as a solo player, uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I know every time I do that kind of playing, I get on the road and it's like lonely immediately because I'm so used to like getting off the plane yeah. and meeting yeah. meeting you guys like at the rental car place or yeah. whatever. And then it's like, what are we going to get to eat? And then let's go to rehearsal. And when you're by yourself, it's just kind of like you're by yourself, you know. Yeah, I, and and you know me well at, at this at this point, and you know that I don't like to be away for a long time, right? I like to go in and come back out, go in and come back out. I don't like to stay a month out or three weeks out or even two weeks out. Drives me crazy. You know, I need to come back, recharge, and then go out there again. Yeah. So I I think in that sense, I'm a little burned out. And I think it'd be difficult for me if I ever got to a point where, where I would need to do that to be able to do that. Right. You know, but, uh, I love traveling with the quintet, you know, because because of what you say, you know, it's like hitting the town with the Navy SEAL team, you know. Right, right. <laughs> hey, man, let's go back to uh, when you started touring with Ricky Martin. I mean, the touring that we do is a certain kind of touring, and we're lucky because it's not like we're on a tour bus and we have to go where people say, and you know, we're not like locked in like that. We have a lot of freedom, and we have a lot of like perks. We get to get upgraded on flights and this and that. So that makes it a lot easier. But the Ricky Martin thing had to be a whole different ballgame, right? I mean, because this is in his heyday. Like, he was the most famous guy on the planet. It was a very, I call it, it was a university in life. I learned so much from Ricky Martin himself, from his team, from the management, from the musicians, and from life on the road, you know? It was such a such a huge learning curve because I was very young, man. I, it was 1998. I was 25 years old, mm-hmm. 24 years old. You know, with that being said, the plans that my teacher had for me was to be in an orchestra. You know, when I went to Venezuela, I realized that I didn't want to be in an orchestra. That being in an orchestra drove me crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I respect the job. I you know, I admire people that do the job, but I, I, it's, it's difficult for me. It'd be difficult for me to sit through a, a whole concert of Strauss waltzes. <laughs> right. It's funny when I talk to people about horn playing in orchestra, it's like, it's the same thing. Playing in an orchestra is not what you think it is when you're a kid. When you're upcoming, you're like, you think that they're playing like Mahler and Bruckner and Strauss all the time. It's I thought at least you play the horn. Yeah, the horn has even more to do yeah. with trumpets. No, you got to do the you got Beethoven trio. You guys have a solo. You know, all we do is bum 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 bum, and it gets interesting, right? When it's not interesting, it's bum 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 bum. <laughs> you know, right. so I mean, it's there's a, there's a whole thing to it, and there's a you know I have a great respect for it because and, and I enjoyed doing when it was great. It was great. When it was great music, it was fantastic doing it. There's, there's a, a sound and there is a force that comes from a symphony orchestra that is hard to 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 replicate with anything else. 
but there were there was too much downtime for me. Yeah. So that was very difficult for me to to assimilate at that age when I was twenty four. Mm-hmm. You know. So that was a fantastic because I opened up my my career. I opened up my vision to having what what Jeff likes to call a portfolio career. Mm-hmm. What I have different streams of revenue from different styles of music. Right. Um, and so the Ricky Martin band, the Ricky Martin job started that. Yeah. I've been recording already, but like r- really seriously started with, a, with an artist like that. It was crazy because we're always staying in, you know, pristine hotels, man. It was difficult at times, as, as we all know, all of us that travel, that it doesn't matter how you travel. Sometimes it's just difficult to travel. Right. Now, with us, the the way we travel now, it's a lot easier. Why? Because I made my own schedule. Right. If I don't have to book a flight at 6 in the morning, I don't have to do it. But in Ricky Martin, it was like, okay, your flight's at 6 a.m., man. Flight's at 6 a.m. Yeah. You get left behind. (laughs) That's it. You don't want to get left behind in in Philippines, you know? (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, you must have had some crazy stories. So what's a, what's a, like a, a standout time that you had? So many, Chris. I mean, I mean, Grammys always stand out. Mm-hmm. Playing the Grammys, playing the big shows, you know, like David Letterman show, the, the Today Show, you know, all, all those shows, you know, playing for the Queen of England. Mm. You know, I have a funny story, but I can't tell it here. Um, about that i mean so i mean and literally being on the road with your friends i mean we were laughing 24 7 you know we had a great band so when it was on it was on but when it was off it was just a party (laughs) you know it was just a party it was fun fun times man was that your first experience uh doing stuff kind of by memory and and with i mean because you you had the show was basically memorized, right? I mean, yeah, memorized. And yeah. you guys had like to be in certain spots at certain time. It was like choreographed too, pretty much, right? Mm-hmm. Was that intimidating when you started doing that? Or nah, was... no, nah, because I, I, my mom, I, I, at home we always danced. My mom was always dancing. I would, she would dance with us. Mm. And to me, it was just yeah, we're dancing, whatever. That's cool. You know, and you, and you know me, I don't I don't take anything seriously. So it was like, yeah, whatever, man. Right. So, yeah, cha-cha. <laughs> <laughs> whatever. You know what I'm saying? And then the memorizing part of it. When I was playing in the orchestra, I always memorize things. Mm-hmm. Just because they, they stuck to my, in my head. You know, you play three times in the rehearsal, and you're like, okay, here comes this thing again. Right. So it was it was nothing new to me. What what was new to me was the whole playing with such a huge window, where so many people would check it out. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's funny because when the first time I played Grammys, I just I went on and I played like I as if I was in a just in a in a regular theater, which is a regular theater, and I didn't want to psych myself out until the fact when I when I realized later on that, you know, and I I somebody told me that the audience that was watching was 125 million people. <laughs> so, That's a little bigger than your average audience. <laughs> luckily, it happened after uh, we had played. Right. Like, 
Whoa, okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, that, it's a high it, note on the... Da, 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 yeah. ah. well, then it happened. I'm sure it happened at some point. But then after a while, you don't care anymore. You understand right. what I'm saying? And that's the beauty of that gig. That it faces you with the reality of a human. You understand what I'm saying? It doesn't matter how big it is. It doesn't matter how great you think you are. It doesn't matter how great people think it is. You're a human. And you're going to make a mistake in front of 125 million people. Everybody makes a mistake. That's, that's what it is, you know? It's funny because, you know, when we're young, we have this fake vision of the of your trumpet heroes or your horn heroes or whatever, that these guys never make a mistake. It couldn't be farther from reality. You know, when I talk to my trumpet heroes, you know, they're like, oh, no, man. That's how I learned the most when I make most mistakes. Yep. <laughs> you know, and the only reason that I that I that, that I keep going is because I get up every day to fight those mistakes and try to overcome those mistakes, you know? Yeah. And that's the cool part of what we do. The sheer amount of stuff that you've done is awesome. And I love the way that you tell it too. Oh, thanks, man. So how did you get into chamber music playing then? It's kind of a, a strange career path because um there aren't a lot of us who can make a living touring in a in a chamber music, especially a brass quintet or something. There's, you know, maybe a handful of them who can make an actual living. So you started playing with Dallas Brass for a year, right? I mean, how, how yeah. did you even get into that job? Well, because of Brian Neal. You mean the guy who was late to his lesson? Yeah. <laughs> Our friend, Brian Neal. Brian yeah, so we, you know, we're playing in school together all the time. And every time I went back to Gil, because I, w- I would be on the road and I would go play for Gil. It was the same lecture. You know what? You shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> this and that, blah, blah, blah. You could do, be doing some other things, blah, blah, blah. You could play an orchestra. You could play a brass quintet. Why are you doing this? Blah, 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 blah. And so there was a point where R- Ricky took time off. Uh-huh. And I, you know, I, I had an open schedule for a while. And uh, so I talked to Brian because I, I, I would stay in touch with Brian. And Brian said, you know what? We're going to have an opening in, in Dallas Brass. It'd be great if you play in Dallas Brass. I said, Ryan, I, you know, I don't know, man. I, you know, I haven't played in Quintet in a while. Right. And he says, you have no problem. So that's how it started. I went to an audition for, for Mike. And Diana was at the audition. Brian was at the audition. Uh-huh. Jason Ayub, I think, was at the audition. And I, I, we played. We talked for a little bit. And that's how I got hired for that job. Mm. And um, I, I didn't really enjoy the whole dancing part of it. And, <laughs> you know. Well, it could have been worse. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it was it was. Funny, but it, I appreciated the fact that I was playing in, in serious music. Yeah, I really appreciate that fact. And then I ha- I did a tour with another big artist from Spain called Alejandro Sanz. And right before I jumped into that tour, we were in Boston. You had already come into Dallas Brass, uh-huh. and uh, Sam Pilafian recommended me to audition for Boston Brass. They heard three people or four people. And you went with me to that audition, the audition yeah. for Boston Brass, remember? 
Yeah. Well, we had just taught a, a master class at New England New Conservatory. England. Yeah. And I remember some of the Boston brass guys were in the audience for the. Rich, the Rich was there. Jeff was there. Yeah. And so you were like, hey, man, I'm going to go audition for these guys. I was like, oh, I'm going to go with you, man. <laughs> <laughs> so we took the train over and, and you went and uh, yeah. played with them for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And then that's, you know, how, that's how that started. Yeah. But, you know, we were in a hang the other day with a with a bunch of people that, you know, they have had careers in brass quintets, like Empire Brass, and, and now playing orchestras, and, and this and that, and blah, blah, blah. And they were telling the stories about staying in bad places, and this and that, and it's like, I don't, we don't do that. Right. In Boston Brass, we don't do that, man. Well, you know, it's like, we we take our quality of life on the road very, very seriously. Yeah, for sure. I think that that's like one of the things that people are most surprised at when I talk to them because they're like, they're like, what's it like being on the road all the time? Isn't it like a drag being in, you know, hotels and you got to drive everywhere and fly? I'm like, actually, I like the days that I fly. It's like still one of the only times where people can't really get a hold of you all the time on the phone and you can just like read a book or listen to some music or whatever you're going to do. And then when I'm on the road with the guys, it's like, we're staying in nice places. We're hanging out. We have a good time. It, we're our own bosses. We play good music because we chose the music. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a, a real unique situation to be in where you don't, you're not answering to the one almighty mm -hmm. person who's like putting you in a crappy hotel and buying you the cheapest flight and uh, telling you. Or even if they're putting you in the best hotel in the world, Chris. Having having musical freedom has no price, man. You know, being able to play what you want to play and make money doing that has it has no price. You know, it, it has no price. I mean, I I in two thousand five I had to make the decision either keep playing with Ricky Martin or go on and play with Boston Brass. Mm -hmm. And people thought I was crazy when I quit the Ricky Martin job and I started. I just went full on with Boston Brass. Right. But to me, playing music that I had a skin in, it, it was important and it still is very important. That's why, you know, I I try to avoid as much as I can the trumpet repertoire because right. a lot of it drives me crazy. Yeah, it's real yeah. liberating being able to play what it is that you love to play. Yeah. And then making your own arrangements like we do in the group and having autonomy of what we do, you know, we learn how to play the system with flying and staying in places. And so it's actually very, very, we, we live on the road a very comfortable life, mm -hmm. you know, because we created that as a group, Boston Brass, you know. Right. Um, the number one thing, we don't share rooms. That's so important. Dude, that would be like the deal breaker of all. I, I couldn't, I couldn't travel. There's no way. No way. There's no way. There's Dude, no way. So I went on tour with the, the Utah Symphony once and we played at the different state parks. It was really beautiful, really nice. And it was fun for me because I got to drive. I, I took my sports car and I followed the bus everywhere, you know. But I remember they were like, Yeah, you gotta sign up for rooms. I was like, What do you mean sign up for rooms? Yeah, who like your roommate? I was like, Roommate? <laughs> you talk about roommate. Just said Casper. I was like, How much Casper is my roommate? Right. I was like, okay, uh, is there a way that I can just, you know, you pay some money and get my own room then? They're like, okay. So that's what I did. 
Oh yeah, man. No, I don't. I yeah. Mm-hmm. No, man. I was spoiled. <laughs> you know, when I was when I started with Ricky Martin, we would share rooms, and then the first the first leg of the tour, everybody, you know, everybody. There was there was a revolution. <laughs> like, we're not doing this anymore. Revolution of two thousand one. That's right. <laughs> And then it's that's the only way to travel, man. The only way you need your own space. Otherwise, then it turns into a nightmare. Well, here's it the matter, thing: it doesn't matter who you are with. I mean, you could love them to death. You need your own space in the road. This goes for anybody who travels for any reason for playing. If you're going somewhere to take an audition, you don't want to like cheap out. And like not get a hotel and show up a day early. So you fly the same day and then you buy the budget airline and then they give you a hassle about your instrument or the flight is super late and you're a nobody on the airline. So it's like you, I mean, it's like, it's better to buy a more expensive flight first class even because if something happens, they'll get you on the very next flight, you know, and show up a day early and foot a hotel room. So that you're not yeah. stressing yourself out on the audition day. Yeah. And I mean, why are you gonna prepare for spend all of that six time. months, spend all that time, and then give yourself the absolute crappiest situation because mm-hmm. you wanted to save a couple hundred bucks when you were mm-hmm. traveling on the day? It makes no sense. As I as I said earlier, man, it's like there is something in life that you cannot waste is time. So if you spend six times preparing for this thing. Because of 30 bucks, you're going to waste all of that time. It's not a waste because you're learning a lot in the process. But you made all that effort. And because of 30 bucks or 40 bucks or 50 bucks or whatever it is, you're going to shy yourself with the opportunity that you have, you know, working for? Nah. Right. And when we are young, you know, we don't understand that part. When you get older, you you start understanding that. Yeah. There's no replacement for feeling good on the day that you're supposed to do something important. Uh-huh. You know, I, I can't stand it when I show up somewhere and they, you don't have somewhere to go. It's like you have maybe a concert that night. So you end up like walking around or like sitting in a green room that's kind of uncomfortable and there's nowhere to like kind of unload or get ready or take a nap even. So that you're like ready to perform to like be your best later on. I, I think I, you know, I'm a little OCD about that. You know, because I, I, I have literally moved hotels by myself. I remember that. Dude. Yeah. Not, not once, but several times. Because it's, you know, it's like you're going to play the worst in that situation. When you're in a bad hotel or in a place that is not clean or a place that you don't feel comfortable in, man. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, you remember that. I remember that, man. We were on the road uh, with Dallas Brass. <laughs> And we showed up. To, I don't remember where it was. It was in like Alabama. Yeah, we showed up to this hotel, and like you walk into the hotel room, and like there are towels that are hanging from. No, the- no, that 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 one, that one was north. It was, was Montana it? or something like that. Yeah, because there were towels hanging yeah. on the rack, and mm-hmm. above the uh, there was a placard above the towel that said, "Do not wipe blood on the towels." <laughs> we're like. What? And you told Mike, you're like, hey, I'm not staying here. He's like, what? Well, what are you're like, I'm not staying here. Yeah, remember he said, oh, well, the percent the presenter may get offended. And I said, I am offended. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
don't wipe the blood with a towel. Are you kidding me, man? What was the one in Alabama then? I don't remember that. We got to Alabama, and then there was it was like a motel type of place. Uh-huh. And I look at this one. There was a hole on like the, the air conditioning, and there, there was like a hole in there, man. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, I'm not staying here. And he said, well, uh, uh, the next hotel is an hour away. I guess I'm driving an hour because I'm not staying here, man. What is this, man? Kidding me? Uh, one of my favorites is when we were driving and you got a speeding ticket. Remember that? Oh, no. You got a speeding ticket and then you made him pay for it. Like we were late. Remember? He talked too much in that class before and we had to go to the next place. Right. And we were late. Remember? Yeah. So everybody's speeding. We're all speeding to get, get to the next place on time for the next clinic. And Jose gets pulled over. And got a ticket. He got a ticket, and then you showed up to the master class. You handed him the ticket. Yeah, he was not pleased with that. I said, "Hey, man, here is here it is. Like, what, what is that? A ticket? Well, what what should I pay it? Because we're late because of you. That's why you have to pay it. <laughs> Easy. Easy. <laughs> oh man. So um, you've had two albums now." And they're, I mean, the playing on them is awesome. And the cool thing about those those albums is that not only do you play great, but you're the one who does all the behind the scenes work on it too. You're recording, you're editing, you're doing everything. And it still comes out sounding like a million bucks. So you, you're saying that you're working on a new album now? Yeah, I'm working on a new album. I want to do an album with trumpet and the strings. Oh. Yeah. I, I want to have at least a 15-piece orchestra, you know, small chamber orchestra or a string orchestra. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to do a couple of Baroque things and maybe some things that are not so Baroque. That's yeah. awesome, man. Yeah, but that one, my original plan was to do it in Eastern Europe. Mm-hmm. But then I was like, what What am I doing? I'm in, the, I'm in Nashville. Right. You know, every single recording musician is here. So I'm going to do it in town and with people that are that are heavy here in the industry so you know that I, i'm very excited about that part of it you know because it's you know i'm going to be also be able to feature in my re- record i'm going to be able to feature the musicians in town Very right cool. yeah. that's awesome how are you liking nashville they've been great to me here man you I do mean, a lot of session work in in nashville yeah. also right yeah. well, whenever we're in town and whenever i'm able to do it you know they're very cordial and very nice and they're you know they invite me to be a part of the of the gang and i have a great time doing that you know incredible musicians in town you know jeff bailey steve patrick mike haynes you know these great trumpet players alec blasic people in the orchestra preston bailey you know all these people man that that have become dear friends you know and people that i respect a lot and i have a great time working with uh, there is a lot of work in video games, a lot of work for movies. Mm-hmm. Um, the guys are telling me that, you know, it shrunk, that it used to be a lot more. But still, you know, there's quite some volume of work, at least, you know, before the pandemic. And hopefully it won't get affected. Cool, man. What do you do when you're not thinking about music or you just want to kind of get away from the trumpet for a little bit? That's funny that you asked that, man. Uh, I just started building stuff in the house like a handyman like i started working with wood man 
No way. I built a couple of tables. I built a sofa for the outside. What? Yeah. I got, yeah, man. I got to see this, man. So Yeah, man. My wife behind you, we just finished a seat table. One of those seat tables? Yeah. Yeah, we just finished that. So you have like the woodworking equipment and all that stuff? Well, I'm starting to get get some stuff, you know. I, I did my whole closet. Like I redid my whole closet. Wow, man. Yeah. I can and then, I, you know, I make my own computer too. <laughs> right. I've never even into that. You had like the Hackintosh yeah. and all that. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen, like, I guess Apple came out with their own chip now? The M1. Yeah. That M1. thing smoking everything. Yeah. But that I think that there, there's just a virus that came out that only affects that thing. Oh, really? Yeah. So they were in deep trouble for a while. I think they're still in deep trouble with that. Uh, I'm sure they'll fix it up. Yeah, I'll fix it. It is yeah. nuts, though. I've seen, because I've been looking for a new computer, and I've been going on YouTube and seeing, like, the speed comparisons when they're working with like final cut and stuff yeah and the dude had like you know the 19 grand like supercharged computer and like a macbook air with the m1 chip performed the same that's uh, pretty amazing yeah pretty amazing man i mean i don't know if i'm gonna do these or not but i'm, I'm even thinking about taking a 24 week coat writing course uh-huh. and I've, i'm always messing around with it so why not you know I already got some information. I think they have something like that here at Vanderbilt, so it'd be interesting to do. That's cool. Well, the woodworking thing is tripping me out. I, for yeah, reason, man. I can't see you like building like a closet in your shelves and stuff. Yeah, man. My my closets came out okay. It's not You're that bad. You're gonna have to take some pictures and show me because I need to redo our closet. Like Tina has so many clothes and shoes and everything. Yeah, it's it's very cool, man. It gives you a whole new level of appreciation for things, yeah. at least in my case, you know. I don't know. I like I like learning new stuff. So Yeah. Well, and you can kind of bring your musician mind into it also, right? I mean, it's kind of like cooking and everything. People say that musicians make really good cooks. Too. Hey, man, the words that you're a great cook, that you make like killing steaks. Oh, I don't mess around when it comes to the grill. Yeah, well, it happens to be that I've been on the road with you for 20 years and I haven't tasted one single steak you made. <laughs> the only time I've ever really cooked on the road was that one time when we were playing at ASU and we had the little apartments to ourselves and it had a um, a kitchen in it. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to do something I never do. I'm going to go to the grocery store because we're going to be here for a few days. I'll buy some food and cook it and everything. And like, I burnt something. I burnt it, and the, the the fire alarm went off in the whole hotel, man. <laughs> I was like, no, I'm trying to, like, press a button. And, stuff and, it's, and it's, you know, those hotel fire alarms are so loud. Oh my God. And they don't stop. It's, like, 15 minutes long, you know, and you can turn it off. And so I just, I opened up the, the, the window, and then I just, like, walked out of the hotel like everybody else. Like, what, what happened? You also cooked that steamboat. Oh, that's right. I remember. Forgot. Yeah, I think you cooked the steamboat with sax. Yep, I remember that. Yeah, but you guys are so nice. Remember the time that the alarm went off in the middle of the night, and I didn't wake up, and nobody went to get me. God, you guys are nice. I oh, feel no. really safe traveling with you cats. I did. Nobody called you or got you because I knew what happened. I knew that you heard the alarm, and you put on your earplugs. I didn't hear the alarm. Phones. You didn't hear it. No, I woke up the next day 
And then Sam and Domingo start talking about the alarm. I'm like, what alarm? And they, they, they got serious. I said, thank you guys. Wow. This is awesome. So if it, like if the thing was going up in flames, I would have burned inside. Thank you. <laughs> you know, I, I thought of Sam the other day because uh, I was on the phone with the insurance company and you're on the phone forever. And then they're telling you like that. I don't know. It's just impossible. And I, I started thinking about Sam when they lost his luggage and he was telling them, he's like, my sister's the FBI and and she's going (laughs) to get you. (laughs) Like he's pulling the FBI card, like on the luggage. When, when we got to Singapore that time and all of our luggages were missing, Domingo's, Sam's and my luggage. We went to the Japanese airline to, to JAL counter. And Sam got us 500 bucks each. Right. <laughs> Just by shaming them. Isn't that when that happened? Like, he got you guys a certain amount of money, and then you guys went out and bought stuff, and then they said, we're only going to give you 200 bucks or something. And then he's like... Was it? I can get the phone records. They told me 500. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And they, they came through with that. Yeah. Well, because yeah. he, he threatened them, yeah, you know. With his sister. With the FBI, man. Yeah. So the FBI is going to get your guys' phone number, phone <laughs> records, and so that they hear that. And as soon as they hear that, I'm going to demand more money from my. Oh, oh my God, Sam, man. Sam was oh, a buddy, man. He was we had such a great time with Sam, man. Oh, my God. Yeah. I miss him every day, man. Yeah. The energy, the energy, man. Like the nonstop, every day, he had more energy than all the other four people combined, just like. Yeah. What are we doing now, fellas? It's like, uh, we're going to take a nap, right? We're going to go back to the hotel and take a nap. It's like, no, we're going to – I told them that we'd do an extra class for the Cuba studio. Like, what? But a nap. <laughs> we're going to be there at 6 a.m. We're going to breathe the band. It's like, what? Say yeah. what? No. <laughs> yeah, he was the best. Dude. Well, it's been so nice to have you. Hey, thanks for having me, man. This has been fun, man. Yeah. You know, you need to have like a like a paid version so we can tell all the good stories. Yeah, the special version, the paid <laughs> version where you get the cone of silence. That's right. We should do one just the stories with the guys. That would be good. And I hope we get on the road soon. I forget what you guys look like. <laughs> I need to get back on the road. I'll tell you, I love my kids and I love being home, but I need to hang out with guys my age. It's like right now, the only other guy in my family, in my household that I see all the time is seven years old. Hey man, it's okay. Could be worse. Yeah, it could be worse. (laughs) (laughs) I'm starting to just like play with, play video games and play with RC cars all the time. I man, what you do to those cars, man? (laughs) Those cars are the best though. I know, but they're like fast. You're going to break each one of them, man. They're like oh. too fast for their build. I've broken them many times, but that's part of the fun of those cars is that every single part on the car is replaceable and upgradable. So it's like you break something and it's like three bucks to buy. How many How many have you bought? I got uh, maybe four or five, but I got one super fast one that's mine. And then Orion's started out kind of medium 20 mile an hour car, but he got super jealous because mine is fast 
And he's like, why is yours fast and mine's not fast? And once he got to, uh, like, he could handle it better, Mm -hmm. his grandma bought him a new motor for the car. And he put it in. How much is a new motor for a car? Not that much. It's like a hundred bucks. I showed him how to take it out, how to unscrew everything and take the electronics off. And he put in the new one and everything. And that thing is fast, dude. That His car will probably do like 50 miles an hour. He's probably super stoked just with the fact that he put it together. Yeah. Well, he's learning, you know? And then, but the first thing he did was drive it like full speed into like a, one of my cars. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) My real car. Like father, like son. Of course. (laughs) Yeah, man. Yeah. Well, I miss you. I can't wait to see you guys. Miss you too, bro. I'm glad to see some dates starting to like come in on our calendar. And you get the vaccine. You got the vaccine yet? Uh, no, I'm checking it out. It, the vaccine is opening up for us regular folk who aren't teachers in Utah. I think it's opening up on, on like the April 1st. I can start. Yeah, so, get that, man. That's yeah, important. that's what I'm going to do. All right, man. Great, great, great space, man. This is fun. Yeah. All right, man. I'll catch All right, you. All brother. Talk to you soon.